Church, every day, every day, we are confronted with hard hearts. Sometimes those hard hearts belong to ourselves. As we persist in sin that should have been long dead and buried. Sometimes those hard hearts belong to those that we love, refusing to believe the good news of Jesus. Sometimes those hard hearts belong to the world, which persists in pushing back on the righteousness and holiness of God. People persist in evil. Government and culture often seem to be fighting hardest against those things which we who love God and love his word would hold most sacred and special. We see and experience hard hearts all the time, but we rarely, I fear, know how to work, how to react when those hard hearts come. As we come into our passage today in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we're going to be looking at hard hearts. Before we get there, though, I just want to remind us that we are in the second of two passages that primarily deal or coming out of dealing with the Sabbath. Last week, if you were with us, we learned two very primary things. The first is that Sabbath was meant to be a blessing for the people of God. That includes us. The second thing that we learned is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And if he's Lord of the Sabbath, then it's his day to use as he will. And that's where we come into our passage today, which really in some ways is the proof in the pudding, if you will, of what he said, that he is Lord of the Sabbath, and because of that, he can heal, and he can lead in that day and on that day. What we're going to read is really sort of the proof that as Jesus makes some bold statements, he backs that up. With miracles, and he backs that up with the authority that he carries. So, again, we're in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Here's what it says Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Now, church, we see in our passage a few pretty clear signs of what we can call brokenness. You have the man with the withered hand. We know as as believers, as Christians, as we read through the Word of God, that illness and brokenness in our bodies, even getting old and frail, is all a result of the brokenness of this 
world. Not only that, but in our passage, we have the Pharisees beginning to seek to kill Jesus. There perhaps isn't any greater brokenness or sin than that. And church, there are many kinds of brokenness and sin in this world, but one of the hardest for most of us to deal with is that of hard hearts. That of hard hearts. Whether we encounter that in the world or in those we love or, I dare say, in ourselves at times, hard-heartedness is a difficult difficult thing to deal with. And so today what we want to do is look at the dangers of a hard heart as well as see how Jesus responds to it that we might too learn to respond in a similar way. So we want to start today with the dangers and signs of hard-heartedness. And the first, number one, is going to be our definition. We need a good definition of hard-heartedness, and here it is. When you know what you should do or how you should think, but refuse to do so. That is hard-heartedness. Knowing what to do or think, but refusing it. And we're going to see that kind of flow into our passage here. Look with me, starting in verse 4. Jesus says to them, this is to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Jesus knows their hearts in all of this. In fact, in the book of Luke, in the same telling of the story, Jesus, it tells us that Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their intentions. He knew what they were all about. He knows as he asks them this question, what their plans are to accuse him. And he knows that by the end of the passage, their plans will move from accusing to opposing and condemning. He asks them this double question in verse 4. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? He knows that he is about to do the good of healing this man. And he knows that they are in the middle of doing the harm in plotting against him. He knows he is going to save this man's life because, yes, healing a hand is a matter of life and death in a culture where your work defined whether or not you ate. And they know that he is that they are plotting to kill him. His question is, is not a vague one. It is not out of the blue. He is looking at their hearts and at his own, and he's asking a question that directly applies to them. Not only does Jesus know this, but they know it too. And that is why they remain silent. See, they're not misled. They're not misunderstanding, and they're not Acting in ignorance. Church, here's the first thing. One of the things we need to know about hard hearts is the hard hearts is not ignorant minds. To have a hard heart actually means that you have to know the good and refuse to do it. And to know the bad and continue to do it. Jesus asks this question and it reveals 
their hearts? The right answer is, of course, that even in their own rigid and legalistic frameworks, they were allowed to do good and save life on the Sabbath, but they can't say that even though it's what they believe, because they are currently seeking to do harm and to kill on the very Sabbath that they are trying to protect from the good that Jesus is seeking to do that day. Their silence is loud. Amen? They know that what's just happened is that they have been confronted with their own inconsistency, their own hardness of heart, unwilling to answer his question. They are demonstrating that they know the right answer to speak, but won't speak it. Because if they say it out loud, they will have to change what they think. Hard-heartedness knows the right way to think or the right thing to do, but still refuses it. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see this in Pharaoh back in the book of Exodus. He knew he should let God's people go. He knew why he should let them go. And he knew what the consequences of not letting them go would be. And yet what happens? His hard heart leads him straight into destruction. We're told in Psalm 95 that it was the hard hearts of the Israelites wandering around in the desert, their refusal to see, to believe, to trust in God who was leading them into the promised land. In their fear, they somehow forgot that just days and weeks and months earlier, God had led them out with miracle after miracle after miracle. We're told in Psalm 95 that they have hard hearts. And it leads to their destruction. We see it also when Jesus speaks on marriage and divorce. In Mark 10, verse 5, Jesus tells his audience, he tells us, that the reason the Mosaic law included and allowed for divorce was because of hard hearts. Hard hearts to know what we should do and do the opposite. James chapter 4, verse 17 tells us this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. It's easy to look at the rest of the world, and it's easy to look beyond ourselves and think about hard-heartedness, but... The question must come to us as well, whether or not when we are confronted, when we have conflict with what Jesus says, when our assumptions come and our beliefs must be changed by what he says, our understandings must be changed, will we have soft hearts or hard hearts? Will we know but refuse? Church, maybe right now there is some level of hard-heartedness that you're experiencing. You know the good that you're supposed to do. You know the thing that you're called to, and yet you refuse to do it. Maybe there's some confession of some sin and repentance. There's something in your life that, that you know the Lord keeps speaking to you over and over and over about, and you keep saying no. 
Or maybe there is some obedience that you are refusing, like giving or sharing the gospel with someone, getting involved in church life in a deeper way, investing in a less mature believer. Right? There are many, many things that God can call us into or out of, and we can be as hard-hearted as the Pharisees. For we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't always. Right, the second thing we learn, we know about hard-heartedness, is that it leads to seeing problems everywhere. It leads to seeing problems. Verse 2, look at this. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him. Now the last few weeks, I have painstakingly taken the time to point out that the motives of the scribes and the Pharisees up until this point could be seen as innocent. They seem to be asking good questions. They seem to be wanting to know more about what Jesus thinks and teaches. I fundamentally believe, and I think we should all, that we should see the benefit of the doubt and give the benefit of the doubt as often as we can with people. But all of that falls apart right here. Because the text tells us that their whole purpose in this whole thing is to accuse Jesus. So let's be clear about this. They are looking at Jesus, not with wonder, not with awe, not with seeking to understand, but with accusation. And this is because hard-hearted people are always looking for problems. Hard-hearted people are always looking for problems. And as a result, every person, hear this, every person is either a problem or a solution to their problem. Everyone is either attacked or is used. Jesus is attacked, and the man with the withered hand is meant to be used. And we know people like this. We work with them, we live near them, some of us may even live under the same roof with them. Some of us might even be them, though we're probably less willing to admit that out loud. Everything's a fight. There's always a complaint. There's always a conflict. There's always someone seeking to, to strum up and drum up and in every way create havoc. And not only that, they often or usually seek to bring others in with them. And we see that in our passage here. Look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the who? The Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Who are the Herodians? The Herodians are those who believe that Herod and his family are the hope of Israel. Now, this is the same Herod family who had all the babies of Bethlehem murdered in an attempt to kill the infant Jesus. This is the same Herod family who killed John the Baptist at the whim of a teenage girl and her manipulative mother. These are people who believe that the hope of Israel is one of the most evil dynasties of Jewish people that had ever lived. And the Pharisees, those who are supposed to be protectors of God's word and his ethics and his law, what do they do? They're partnering with them. See, hard-hearted people are willing to work with evil people 
and they are willing to use whoever and whomever they want to their own purposes. When all you see is problems, everything and everyone can be a means to an end. And so they see Jesus in their hard-heartedness as the problem. His teaching is the problem. It's all they can see, and it's all they can think about. And where does this lead? Well, it tells us also in verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. Last four words, how to destroy him. Now, verse 6, this word destroy It's the same word that was used back in chapter 2, verse 22, when Jesus was talking about the wineskins, and he said that when you mix the old and the new, what happens? Both are destroyed. This is a great foreshadow of Jesus even to his own death. The same word is also used in Matthew chapter 26, to those who live by the sword who perish or are destroyed by the sword. This is where seeing everything and everyone as a problem leads. They are confronted with their own hardness of heart in Jesus' questions. And it is clear that in Jesus confronting them with the hardness of heart, that either the truth must die or he must. And that's what happens when any of us are confronted with the hardness of heart that we have. Either the truth of that will need to die or, hear this, we will. And as they are unwilling to confess and unwilling to repent and turn to Jesus, they instead do what? They instead plot his death. And church, that leads us to number three, the hard-heartedness that angers Jesus. Hard-heartedness angers Jesus. Verse 5. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. The word here for anger is the word fury. Right? This is not a mild anger. This is not a meek anger. This is a really, really directed anger. And that is followed up by grief, which we'll come to in just a moment. And for clarity, I'd like to remind you about who Jesus is and what we know about Jesus. Jesus, as we read in Scripture, has all manner of compassion, pity, and even acceptance for men and women who are stuck, enslaved, and trapped in all manner of sin. Amen? I mean, think about this. How does Jesus react to the woman caught in adultery? With compassion and love and acceptance. Financial sin and greed, like Matthew the tax collector and Zacchaeus, he welcomes them into his fold. Unbelief, like the man whose son needed healing, who cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. What does he do? He responds and heals his son. Peter denies Jesus three times and is then welcomed back in three times. Jesus even has mercy on Saul who persecuted the church and oversaw the stoning to death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. 
Jesus's reaction to sinners is full of compassion and mercy and love. And yet he encounters the hardness of heart of these Pharisees. And what is his reaction? He's furious. He's furious. Now hear this. This does not mean that someone who has a hard heart, whose heart is then softened, will not be accepted into the kingdom. And you know this. Because I would be pretty sure that all of us at one point or another have been people of hard hearts, and yet Christ has welcomed us in as our hearts were softened. No, what is he so angry about? They've discovered how hard their hearts are, and they don't care. And they persist in that hardness of heart. And church, let me just say this. We as Christians, and I think most of us in here are Christians, we know that any time that we promote Jesus into anger, that every time that, that what we do, do and, and what we do, does, that doesn't even make sense. What we do leads to anger in Christ. It should what? It should grieve us. Church, when you sin and you cause the grief in God, it should hurt you, not just him. And that leads us to the fourth thing here about hard-heartedness, and that is that hard-heartedness leads to broken-heartedness. In fact, hard-heartedness always leads to broken-heartedness. Jesus moves from anger to grief. He is deeply saddened. And any of us who have ever lost a loved one knows exactly what it is like to be grieved. It is a pain that not only hurts in our head and heart, but it can hurt in our fingers and our feet. Right? It is a pain that it just encompasses everything. This is Jesus in this moment. I guarantee you there's not a single person in this room who is not or will not be affected, grieved by someone's hardness of heart, whether your own or somebody else's. And church, I just want to encourage you, when you are in that spot, when you are experiencing the anger and the grief, the brokenheartedness of hard-heartedness, that you would do what Jesus does. Did you know it's okay to be angry? When hard-heartedness consumes the life of someone you love? Did you know that it's okay to be broken over the fact that people don't come to know Jesus? In fact, I would say the proper response for all of us, as we do week in and week out, church, as we live our lives in this community and seek to, for people to come to know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, and they don't, we should be crying out all the more. Every Sunday that goes by in this room where we don't see, we don't hear about somebody coming to know Jesus should be a day of grief because of hard-heartedness. Every day that you live your faith life in this world, that you pray for your loved ones and your neighbors and your coworkers, and they don't come to know Jesus is a day you should be in grief over hard-heartedness. 
me just ask you real quick, does your prayer life reflect this anger and this grief? Does your prayer life reflect the anger and grief that you should have over the heartbrokenness of hard-heartedness? Say, there's some days in my own life where that is all that consumes me, and there's other days where I don't think about it once. Church, I want to just pause really quick here, and not not as a gimmick, but as, as a real practice. There are people in your life, there are people in my life who have hard hearts and it hurts. Amen? Let's pray for them right now. Take a moment of silence. Lift their names by name up to Jesus. Let us do that. Lord God, we are broken over those that we love who have hard hearts. And we pray that you would work in their lives now. Amen. Church, one of the reasons that we need to pray about this, that we need to let this affect us, is because number five, hardness of heart leads to death. Hardness of heart leads to death. Look at this, verse six. We've looked at this verse a few times. Let's look at it one more time. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Perhaps this is part of why Jesus is so angry and so grieved. It's because he knows that their hardness of heart is going to lead to his own very death. Church, hardness of heart leads to death. First, to the one who has hard hearts. The ones who have hard hearts. If you have a hard heart, it will lead to your death eternal forever in the lake of fire. Hard hearts lead to destruction. We see it in Pharaoh. We saw it with the Israelites. We see it all the time. Look at the words in Hebrews chapter 3, which are also a uh, quoting of Psalm 95, which I've already referenced once today. Here's what it says in Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? You hear that? All those. All those who experienced the Passover as all of the sons of Egypt died. They experienced the parting of the Red Sea. They experienced a pillar of fire and smoke leading them. They experienced manna falling out of the sky and quails showing up when they were hungry and water coming out of rocks. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Hardness of Hearts, church. Friends, here's a truly remarkable thing, though. In the same section of Scripture, and we looked at this last week as we talked and looked at the Sabbath. 
The thing that kept the Israelites from finding rest in the promised land was what? It was hardness of hearts. That which kept the Pharisees from true Sabbath rest was hardness of hearts. That which keeps any of us who hear the good news of Jesus Christ from turning their lives or your life over to him into salvation is hardness of hearts. But there's a promise that comes in Hebrews chapter 4, and this is what we looked at last week. Hear this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, jumping to verse 7 in Hebrews chapter 4, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That today that Hebrews is referring to was the day that Jesus Christ died. Because hard-heartedness leads to death, either ours or his. That today was the day that Christ died. If you're a believer here today, that day is the day that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've never come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that that day would be today that you would come. That you would come. Because it is the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for us that softens hearts. It is the knowledge that what needed to happen has already been done. It is the knowledge that you can't do anything more for yourself that softens hearts. And I just want to encourage you for a moment. That is what will soften the hearts of those that you love. It is Jesus. His work, what he's done. With that in mind, we want to finish out our time by looking at Jesus' response to the hard-heartedness. Now, we've already seen the beginning of that response, right? Anger and grief. But where does that go? And to get there, we need to go back to verse 3. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. Church, the whole time that the hard-hearted are doing their thing, the whole time that they're plotting, accusing, and using, Jesus is doing what Jesus does, and he's showing kindness, love, and mercy. I love this. I love the contrast between what they're doing and what Jesus is doing. Now remember, I mean, we've been in Mark, the beginning of Mark, for weeks and weeks and weeks now. But here's the thing. Only a handful of the weeks of Jesus' life has passed by at this point. Jesus has spent the last three to five weeks, give or take, healing every manner of ailment, casting out all kinds of demons. He has brought paralyzed people to walk again, blind people to see again, deaf people to hear again. And somehow, in some way, this man in the synagogue where Jesus has spent most of his time is still standing there with a withered hand. Why? We don't know. And I'll just tell you, any guess at that would be speculation. But I would dare to say that every one of us who tarried, who waited, who asked questions, and who wondered, even while being convinced of the truth of Jesus before we were willing to give him our lives over because of our hardness of hearts, would know exactly why that man's not healed yet. Jesus. 
Jesus says to him the words that every one of us longed to hear and didn't know it, the words that we still long to hear even if we've heard them before, Jesus says to that man, come here. He has the man stand up in front of everybody. Withered hand as it is, pride laid bare for all to see. Despite the plotting and the scheming and the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees in this room, despite or maybe as a result of Jesus getting angry and grieved, what does he do? He heals that man. Now notice this, verse 5. Notice this. He looked around at the anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and he argued with them. No. And he yelled at them. And he condemned them. And what did he do? I mean, if you're looking at this passage, you can see what he did. He gets angry at them. He grieves over it. And he turns all that attention straight on to the broken man in their midst who has an open heart. And who's willing to receive a miracle. Jesus responds to the hardness not with fights, arguments, or quarrels. Jesus responds to their hard-heartedness by healing the only man in the room with an open heart. What if we responded the same way? What if when we respond to the brokenness in the world, the hard hearts of our culture and our government, of the loved ones that we love that are just hurting us, what if we responded to all that pain, all that grief that we experience the same way Jesus does? And we take all of that and we put it into loving those people that have open hearts instead of fighting against those who have closed ones. I can tell you, my first response when a loved one has a closed, hard heart is to argue. It's my first response. It's even my response when they're not even around me. I can spend hours and hours dreaming up arguments to make about them and for them that might convince them of the truth. Do you know that every expert on debate in the world agrees on one thing? Argument only hardens hearts more. The more we argue with people, the harder their hearts get. You ever experienced that? So what if when the government passes laws that, that we hate, that, that hurt our hearts, what if instead of fighting and rioting, not that I think any of us are doing that, what if we took the time to love the broken people that are most affected by those laws? What if when friends and family turn their face against Jesus, and all they want to do is rage and fight against the God that you love. You simply turned your love on them and on those around that might see and experience what God has done in you. What if when we experience the own hardness of hearts that we experience, and church, I know we, do, we experience this too. I've been a Christian long enough and a mature believer for long enough to know that there are times, there are days when I say no to the Lord. When I come face to face with my own hardness of heart, I'll tell you, when it does, it usually grieves me. 
And what if instead of working through the pain of that on myself, I turn that into obedience and ask the Lord to soften my heart. Church, as we approach hard-heartedness, I want us to do so as the way Jesus did. That's what we need. That's what the world needs. That's what the hard-hearted world needs. So what do we need to do? Number one, you know me. You know me well enough to know where I'm going. Number one, we need to be in prayer. But let me guide you a little bit in that. If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not, write them down in your head. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. David, the man after God's own heart, asked God himself for a new heart in response to his own sin and his own hard-heartedness. Pray through Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Add to that Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me and try me and know my ways. Show me if there is any unright ways in me. Psalm 95 or 6 through 11. We've referenced that at least three times in the sermon today. We are called to not harden our hearts, but to soften them. Church, as you would pray those verses this week, ask the Lord to show you any hardness in your own heart. And if you find any, repent and confess before the Lord Jesus Christ because hard-heartedness leads to death. But soft-heartedness leads to life in Jesus Christ. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have never softened your heart before him and accepted what he's done for you, then today is the day Do not persist in the hardness of heart. Jesus invited that man. He said, come. And you are invited the same way by the same Savior to come. Let today be the day that you don't harden your hearts, but soften them and present yourself to the Lord, asking for his salvation. If that's you today, come find me before you leave here today. Maybe it's during the Lord's Supper or during our last song, or maybe it's after church. But church, I invite you to come on the invitation of Christ to have a soft heart and to let that carry you into this week and into this season and into the rest of your life. Lord God, we just come before you and we pray that you would work in us, heal us, save us, and rescue us. Lord, I pray that we would have soft hearts, and I pray that those people in our lives that have hard hearts, Lord, that you would soften them with your love, with your kindness, with your mercy, with your grace. Lord God, I pray that we would have opportunities to speak into those moments and into those people's lives. Lord, I pray that you would convict us where we need it, Lord God, that we would would have truly broken hearts over the hard-heartedness that we encounter. But Lord, that that would not crush us or break us, but that would drive us like you, Lord, to love those who are ready to love those, to find those who have soft hearts and need you. God, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.